Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Have you ever had moments in life where you wish that you could have gone back to your former self, your younger self, particularly when that younger self was going through a really tough time, and, and you could just go back to them and, and just give them a little bit of perspective? <laughs> You know, where, where, where you could go back to yourself times that you've absolutely freaked yourself out and, and you thought all of life was going to end and it was a time that was painful and it was a time that was very real and hurtful for you. But knowing what you know now, you wish you could just go back to give yourself a little bit of comfort. Anyone ever wish that? I, I experienced that dynamic with... I was chatting to a good friend here in the congregation over a coffee after the service once and he said to me, how's life? And I said, it's all right, but I, we're really struggling. Like uh, this day, whole daylight saving thing, uh, Krista and I are really struggling to get a sleep in on the weekend. And he laughed his head off at me. He's like, mate, who gets a sleep in these days? And I, I can say now another five years on and three kids later and all of that, I can understand why he was laughing at me back then in those times. I wish I could have gone to Sam back in those times. But of course for you, it's what if you could go back into those times in which the job is falling apart and the health is falling apart and there seems to be no way out of the situation that you're in. If only, only you could go back there. We can't go back there, can we? But we can in some ways do that through this passage because last week we heard from, uh, we heard from a passage of scripture in which there was a young guy called Peter and he happens to be the guy that read the words that we heard from the Bible today. And we saw in young Peter was the, the one enthusiastic young 20-something that said, Lord, I will never desert you. And we know his story. Uh, in a couple of hours later, he denies Jesus three times. And yet here we have a 60-something-year-old now saying to his people, cheer up, chin up, stand firm, be stable. In the face of intense persecution. Now, when you have someone like that saying that to you, who do you want to tell that to you from the words of Scripture? Do you want the teenager, the 20-something down here, or do you want the 68-year-old? You see, this is a guy who's going back to all of us that were the, the, the young'uns in their day, the ones that, as we learned last week, had only had front-side certainty. Remember we said there are two different types of certainty? There's certainty on the front side of commitment, but then there's certainty on the back side of commitment. And when Peter says, praise be to God, for he has given us a new birth into a living hope, this is our backside certainty, Peter. Right? So that is the authority that we stand upon. Don't take my word from it. Take his word for it. This is a battle-scarred guy that says the promise for you this morning is that in the midst of deep uncertainty, you can be a person of stability. You can be someone who, who stands firm in all that life is throwing at you. Now, I want to talk to you this morning about a tension that all of us have faced. It's a tension that we all face. Let me throw out some scenarios for you because it just makes sure that we're all thinking along the same lines. But if you've ever placed your hope in someone or something and that someone or something has let you down, then you're going to feel this tension. If you've ever placed your hope in that person that you fronted up and you sat at an altar and they said, I do until death do us part and then you get 10, 15, 20 years down the track and it's not till death do you part and that they say the relationship's over and, and the marriage ends, you've faced this tension. 
Maybe you've been working your guts out at work. You've gone the extra mile. You've sacrificed time with your family. You've sacrificed time with your leisure. And you're working hard, doing all you can. And then someone else gets that promotion. And the hope is placed in the promotion. The hope is placed in the status. And you've felt this tension. Maybe, maybe you had aspirations for a son or a daughter. You prayed for them like crazy all of their childhood lives and they go off to high school and they get caught up in the wrong group. And as much as you prayed for them, they, they were led astray and you're in a season of life where you said, I can't give them back those years and I can't give them back that life. You felt that tension. Or maybe it's like a good friend of ours this week that um, lost their baby at 20 weeks. And they have faith and they've been praying and we've been praying for them and, and they've faced this tension. How do you maintain hope in a hopelessly broken world? How do you stand firm when something like that hits you? And what we learned last week is that uncertainty is nothing new. The only thing that's certain is uncertainty. And what we see from with uncertainty comes hardship and suffering. And what I'm discovering, we'll see from the word this morning, is that the only way through hardship and suffering, the only pathway is via hope. We see that from great writers like Viktor Frankl, who wrote in his important book, Man Searching for Meaning Out of His Experiences as a Prisoner in One of the Nazi Camps. He writes this, The prisoner who had lost his faith in the future, his future was doomed. With his loss of belief in the future, he also lost his spiritual health and hold. He let himself decline and became subject to mental and physical decay. Usually this happened quite suddenly in the form of a crisis, the symptoms of which were familiar to the experienced camp inmate. Usually it began with a prisoner refusing one morning to get dressed and to wash or to go out on the parade grounds. No entreaties, no blows, no threats had any effect. He just lay there, hardly moving. In this, if this crisis was brought about by an illness, he refused to be taken to the sick bay or to do anything to help himself. He simply gave up. And there he remained, lying in his own excretia, and not, nothing bothered him anymore. You know, it's almost like hope is necessary for our well being, right? <laughs> Absolutely central to our well being. As human beings. Now, as we launch into this discussion about hope, because last week we talked about uncertainty, but we want to talk about hope this morning and then we'll continue to unpack this for the next couple of weeks. I sort of want to give you a working definition of hope. Uh, this is like the sort of, sort of gathering together of all of the different definitions I could find from people around the place. So it's a working definition. It's, it's, it's not written somewhere in the Bible. It's a Sam definition. Here's what it is. Hope is the person's or person, the thing or the things that you have centred your life around. I mean, it's a, it's a bit like this. It's a bit like this ladder. You thought the OH&S guys just hadn't done their job in packing this stuff away, but this stuff, uh, hope is a bit like this ladder. You see, what we, what we do as human beings is our life is like this ladder, and what we do, more often than not, unconsciously, is that we lean these ladders against against some form of wall. Now, it's not a physical wall, of course, but it's you unconsciously, when you're born, you lean your ladder against mum or you lean your ladder against dad with the expectation that stuff's going to happen for you. And you see, what happens throughout life is 
consciously and, and more often than not unconsciously, you lean your ladder onto varying walls as you go through life. You know you do this. The walls as you grow up, you lean against the walls of your intellectual ability. You lean it against the walls of your ability to attract people in your looks. You lean it against the walls of popularity or your ability to get a scholarship or to, or to be able to move into the right job. We, we subconsciously do this half the time in our lives. Then what happens is that we realise that it's only when we get to these places in which uncertainty hits and it rattles the ladder a little bit and we realise as we're walking up the rungs that this stuff's a little bit unstable. It's only at that point that we first suddenly think about this issue of hope. It's only then that we start to wonder whether or not the thing that we have centred our life upon will hold us. You see, what happens unconsciously is we make a decision to lean this ladder of hope onto something or someone that we think is going to fulfill and support our ambitions in life. And we're never aware of it. Even today, coming in today, there's something that you've leaned the ladder of your life against. There is a wall there. And so the question is, is it going to hold? And what the Bible tells us is that any finite thing, anything in this world, that's what Peter meant in this passage when he talks about this inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. There's a big Old Testament uh, uh, carry through in that illustration there because the Israelites' inheritance was the land that they were in. It was prone to drought. It was prone to death. And so this inheritance, we, we realise and they realised, is something that is, is always fickle and unstable. And so we're all leaning our, our life, our ladder against a, a wall somewhere. And the, and the only time that we come to understand that is when we get this, this feeling, uh, th- this dynamic that comes into our lives. It's called hopelessness. And what hopelessness is, that's just another word for that time when we feel that the thing we've leaned our ladder against is not going to hold. That the the job is not going to hold up. The ability to connect, the relationships that we've got, the attraction, all of those things are not going to hold. They're not going to come through for me. We realise that when we said, maybe we're not going to have children when we thought we were going to have children. We realise that when we're 30-something, we're still single and we're like, man, am I ever going to get married? We realise that when nobody's calling or nobody's answering the phone. And so... It's only when we experience these things start to shift from us that we, when we experience the free fall do we think about hope, right? So that's the, that's the worldly definition of, of hope in there is to centre your, your, yourself around someone or something, the persons or the thing, and it's inherently unstable. The, the biblical definition of hope, this living hope that Peter talks about in this passage, is something for much more than just that, you know, that, that feeling of, of un, it's actually a feeling of uncertainty, it's, it's, I hope that this will happen. It's, I hope that Daniel Ricciardo will come back from 10th place after crashing out and win the Grand Prix this afternoon. That's the sort of worldly hope, right, that we talk about. But biblical hope is so much more different to that. In fact, Don Carson, the theologian, says in the Bible, hope has the same anticipatory function as the word has in English, but without any necessary connection with certainty or doubt. So there are some hopes in the Bible that are uncertain. The context demonstrates that. But the Bible is quite prepared to talk about a certain hope, which English just doesn't make any sense. 
In other words, the biblical hope when he says that we've been given a new birth through the resurrection of our, our Lord Jesus Christ, this hope that we have from this word here is this, it's an assured conviction of the victory of God. Christians live with this assured conviction of the victory of God. Uh, every time I read through this and I'm, I'm downcast and I'm wondering where life is going and where the world's going and what's happening in politics and all of that. Last time I read this book, I don't know, I got up to the end. Here it is in here. I'll translate it for you. We win. <laughs> we win. It's an assured conviction. But we know, that, we know in our present behaviours that, that we struggle with that, Right? We struggle with it in the same way. I'll tell you how this assured conviction happens. Have you ever, ever seen a really scary movie that you've seen ages ago and it was so long ago that you don't quite know how it ends? <laughs> and you have to go and look up on Wikipedia, the plot line. Kristen does this all the time when we're watching a movie. I'm like, get off your phone, just enjoy the tension. She can only sit through these really scary movies when she's read on Wikipedia what the plot line is. <laughs> Christians live with the same sort of Wikipedia conviction when we're uncertain about what's going to happen in the future. We've just got to get, we've got to get this out for a little bit. We've got to remind ourselves of the plot line and the directionality as to where we head. Now, some of you are saying, I already know this. I already know about hope. I'm a Christian. Of course you know about hope. Knowing about hope's not the issue this morning. Knowing about hope's not the problem. If you're anything like me, it's not knowing about hope, it's living and experiencing that hope. How, how does a person who's lost the job or lost the relationship or lost the baby move through life this week? That's the reality of what we're getting through to, right? It's not about knowing of hope. You know how I said last week that we're irreducibly hope-based creatures, so in other words... Our present behaviours are affected by our believed in futures. And so often we as Christians say, yeah, we, we believe we win. We believe we, we win. So here's the question though. Why are we behaving like this? Why, are we, why so rattled? Why so scared? Why so anxious? Why so downcast? In fact, if we reverse the equation the other way, if our present behaviours are affected by our believed in futures, then... then our truly believed in futures are indicated by our present behaviours. Stay with me. But in other words, if we say that we believe this, does our present way of living reflect that belief? And this is what I struggle with as a Christian. Because when I try and wriggle out of it as much as I possibly can, as much as I say, yep, yeah, we've got the new birth into the living hope that can never perish, spoil or fade, I'll be the first one to call it this morning. In my heart of hearts, I don't believe that. Because any form of my anxiety, any form of my um, fear, any form of my lack of courage is coming from the fact that, Sam, be real with yourself. You don't believe that. If you did, your present behaviour would reflect that. So it's not about knowing about hope this morning. It's how do we work that into the heart? And here's how we do it. How do we work this in? This is the question. Here's the first thing you've got to do. You've got to, you've got to deal with the walls first. You've got to deal with the walls first. You see, when, when Peter says, in his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope that will never perish, spoil or fade, he's doing something that the world never does. He's applying the big truths to the small places. 
the big truths of lives to the small places, to the little places. That's the principle, you know. And this is utterly different from how the modern person does it. You see how the modern person works it through. What do what the, they do? The, the modern person, if you go to a, to a seminar dealing with stress or you, you go to a bookstore that's dealing on these things and there's hundreds of them or you go online to look at the books that do that, here's what the, the modern person does. They always skip over the principle and they go straight to method. And there's a really good reason why they do this. Because of the market. <laughs> it's purely the market. In, in other words, you'll never see the bookstores or the seminars dealing with stress and pressure and uncertainty like this. You will never walk to a seminar and they'll say, hey, let's think about the big questions. Welcome to the seminar this morning. Is there a God? <laughs> Is there an eternity? Are there moral absolutes? They'll never start like that because, why? They have to have a big market. And here's a Christian and here's a Jew and here's a Buddhist and here's an atheist. Man, they they write the book, they don't want to lose them in chapter one. (laughs) They never start with the big questions and so they go through the process. They never deal with the walls, they deal with the rungs of the ladder. They start with, here's some relaxation techniques and here's some thought control patterns. And you need to live a more balanced life. You need to look at your diet. Right, All of those things are the rungs on your life. They're all necessary. I'm not saying that you don't go to that. What I'm saying is you've got to go to the walls first. What is it that you've lent your life upon? And if you look at it, the Bible always starts with the walls first. When Peter says, his great mercy has given us a living hope, what is that? That's big truths into the little mundane things. You come up to work and someone's slandering your reputation. People often think of the way they can scheme and get back in politics. A true Christian should look at that and said, I've got an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. My reputation is not my inheritance. So you apply the big truths and you zap them, the small things in life with the big truths. You see what he's doing, Peter? Peter can't even deal with the smallest of life's problems without taking all of eternity into scope. And that's what we do too. You don't see Peter saying, look, I've got this, I've got this little model for cheering you on in hardship. I've developed this app. <laughs> I've got a series of apps. It's going to give you a series of positive thoughts. No. He's saying, look at the directionality of your life. Look at the future. Look at what is in store for you. Look at the glory. Take that into the smallest of circumstances. Now, of course, it's places, as I said, for the courses and the techniques, but that is never where Christianity starts. Let's be clear. Christianity always starts with the big truths and then works down into your life. And so that's what Peter's saying. He's saying practically to you this morning, you're worried, you're anxious, you're downcast. Brothers, sisters, look at the big picture. You're not meant for here. You're not citizens of here. This is transient. He's saying to you, you will still be aware of your being in 50 billion years time. How is this bad year going to look like in comparison to that? Now, there may not be an adequate answer. We're going to get to that in a second. But here's the point. He deals with the walls and not the rungs. That makes sense? So someone says, well, that's intense. <laughs> Whoa, okay. Yeah, but it works. You see these people, they stood firm. There was stability. We're here because this worked. Intense persecution and hardship. So you deal with the walls first, not the rungs. Here's the second thing. I couldn't continue the analogy. No analogy is perfect, so just bear with me. 
Um, hope is a process, not a pill. I don't know about you, but whenever you, whenever you talk to a friend who's exploring Christianity, maybe, you, maybe you're doing that this morning. You know, I feel people come in and they come into a, a moment like this and, and they say, will this work for me? Will this work for me? Now, what do they really want in that? They, again, in some ways, they're, they're leaning their ladder up against the wall, but it's not the wall that we call Christianity. You know, they, they want a solution, a quick solution for their life. They want, they want something like that magic spray in football. You know, the anesthetic spray that you just put on your knee when you've corked your thigh. And they, just, Shh. they just want to, this life's hurt. Shh. I just, just get it all over the leg and, and just numb it for a little bit, right? And Peter says, this is not how it happens. Very, very differently. Verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Christ is revealed. What he's saying is that this, the only way that this hope that we talk of is going to work its way from your head down into your heart is through this process and it's the process of uncertainty it'll only happen when the troubles hit it'll only happen when the suffering hits it'll only happen when the hard times hit and you've got to wrestle this out the the great promise that we have from this is you know the two words there for the suffering and rejoicing you know they're both present tense this is off the charts for the modern person what he's not saying is, oh, guys, look, just bet in now because in 50 billion years' time, you're not going to remember this. Like Sam said, don't do that. <laughs> well, do that. Think of the perspective. But what he's really saying is it's not a matter of just hanging in now until you get to heaven because it's though you suffer now, present tense, but he also says though you rejoice now, present tense. So in other words, there's a dynamic here in Christianity that allows the suffering and the rejoicing to happen at exactly the same time. The living hope that he's talking about. It works its way in. And so what he's saying is that it's got to be a process, not a pill that you take. When he says these hardships have come so that you might be refined by the fire, what he's saying simply is, the simple fact is, you don't get zapped into the side effects of hope. I think think the average person, even the average Christian, walks in and they're going through a hardship and then, man, I, Lord, I just want to, I just want to lie down. I just want to soak it in. Just, can you, can you just give it to me? And you just tell me when you're done, like the, like the tanning machine. You know, can you just, can you just lift the lid when, when the 15 minutes is up? And can I just hear the ding in which I'm going to be okay and I can walk out of here and it's going to be fine? Even though you're refined by the fire, it's a smelting process. You know, what is smelting? Smelting is the burning away of the things that are not necessary in the pure form of the metal. And what Peter says here is the only way you will become a person of stability and greatness is that in the, in the furnace of hardships that God will burn that off. You can't take a pill for this stuff. And that is bad news for many of us because we're Western people, so we like technique and we like technology and we like pills, we like... Things that do things to us. We like to get zapped, don't we? <laughs> we just want to be zapped. But it doesn't work that way. It's a process, it's not a pill. So all of this, just two points this morning. 30% off. Hey, what a bargain. <laughs> just I just want us to I just wanted to, well, I wanted to get us that us to get that. First of all, deal with the walls, not the rungs, but most of all understand that for hope, it's not a matter of knowledge for us this morning. 
We all know. It's a matter of working in from the head to the heart. We understand this, of course, isn't it? You know, come Monday, we're going to go in there. Monday, by Monday, all the problems are gone, right? We heard the sermon. We heard the sermon yesterday. We slept on it. Gone. <laughs> right? We're cool. Maybe even by Wednesday. I'll give you a little bit of, a, little bit of leeway. It's done. We know it doesn't work that way. And here's fundamentally how all of the stuff that we've talked about this morning will not work unless there is this one thing. And the one thing that you've got to do, fundamentally, it's the one thing that every Christian has done. But at some point, somewhere in your life, at some time, you've got to shift the ladder to a different wall. And you've got to put the ladder onto a wall that you know will always be stable. A a wall that you know is not a finite thing. A wall that you know will not move and will not budge even in in, in, in the midst of all of the trials that you will face. Something that will stand firm. Because the only way that you will be able to maintain this hope is to realize that whatever you have placed your hope in, whatever that wall is that you've leaned your life against will determine whether you remain hopeful in a hopelessly broken world. You know, Peter talks about it in far less dramatic terms, at least for entertainment's value, but it is a pretty dramatic process. He says, he has given us by his great mercy a new birth. This is so dramatic, this is so drastic in our lives that when you do this and you place that trust into God, it's like being born again. A new life, a new start. And so all I ask you this morning is, where are you leaning your ladder? What is it really leaning on? Maybe some of you got a bit of the death wobbles in life this morning and this is a great opportunity as we head towards a time of ministry to reflect on where that is. Will this thing hold? Where have you centered your expectations? And if they're anywhere other than in a relationship with God, that is, that is a hope that will eventually disappoint. This stuff doesn't hold up. And the only way to maintain your hope in the long run is to move that ladder onto the wall that is God. And what I love in the person of Jesus Christ is we see a guy that's willing to swallow his own medicine. This is a guy who copped life in the face. Some of you are saying this morning, man, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm dealing with. You don't know what I have to endure. Yeah, well, you're right. I don't know, but he does. And he copped life in the face full, full, full on. And yet he endured and he too was stable in the midst of this. He understands that. And so the challenge for you and I this morning is just to keep our, our hands open Entrust to him to say, Lord, I don't know what will hit me. I don't know whether I'll get through what has hit me this morning, but I will trust you. And I'm convinced that I've leaned the ladder of my life against you and that you will not move in all of this. Look, uncertainty is nothing new. And with uncertainty comes hardship and suffering. And the only way that I can see us getting through hardship and suffering is through hope. There's something necessary in that for us. And so as you go home tonight, in those quiet moments when all the, all the busyness of the day is gone, all the things that therapeutically distract you in some way have faded away, what will that be for you? My prayer for me and my family and the kids and for all of us is that when we come to that point and we think about that tonight, 
And that as the walls start shaking and the ladders start shaking, we, we, would, we would be reminded that we were never supposed to put the ladder there anyway. Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.